We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast network. Guys, I am super excited to bring you today's episode. You're going to be hearing from one of the people who was framed by the FBI in the infamous fake conspiracy to kidnap Michigan Governor Whitmer. Uh, we'll introduce my guest in a minute. Uh, before I do that, I just want to remind you, I want to ask you, um, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast feed, be it the Lions of Liberty Network feed or the Finding Freedom solo feed, please do. Uh, it does help tremendously with the algorithms, and also it will help me to uh, recognize that everybody who normally listens is still getting the show. Uh, we're going through the the uh, always painful and annoying process of switching podcast hosting platforms. So as we go through that, it would be awesome if we had more people subscribe so you wouldn't miss my show or our show every Wednesday hosted by Brian McWilliams, Mean Age Daydream. Get both shows Get both shows in the Lions of Liberty Network feed or just my shows in the Finding Freedom solo feed. As always, leaving a five-star rating and a nice review is very appreciated. And I will read it if you leave a review about my show uh, or the network as a whole. I will read it um, after the, uh, the interview uh, for the uh, conclusion of the podcast portion. And I'll give you a shout out. So, there you go. Is there is there any more incentive than that than getting a shout out on a podcast? Probably, probably yes. But anyway, without further ado, so excited for you guys to hear today's guest. Let's get right to it. All right, I am live here with Brandon Caserta. I should have asked you how to say your last name. Is that the right way to say your last name? Yeah, you actually got it right. Nailed it. Wow. Every once in a while, I get someone's last name right. But um, you, if you've heard Brandon's name before, you might hear that name and think, I've heard of that guy. Who is he? Um, he was one of the people who was framed by the FBI with the uh, the fake conspiracy to kidnap the governor of Michigan, uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Um, and he beat the charges. He was acquitted in April of, of this year. So a lot to talk about here. Um, obviously, being acquitted, there's still a lot of negative impacts that he's that he's suffering through in his life. But we're going to dig into his story, find out what happened, and uh, I'm looking forward to kind of learning how these FBI and you know entrapment scams work. So, Brandon, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate you. So let's let's kind of start. I mean, I think probably everyone listening has at least heard of you know this case. You know, they've seen headlines. Maybe they haven't dug into it. So let's like, first, if you can just kind of tell people just a high level view, um, what, you know, what happened to you in this case? And then, you know, obviously over the next hour, we'll dig into the details of everything else. 
Okay. Yeah. You know, kind of a bird's eye view of what happened to me is I was essentially like a character that was selected by the government to have a position and play a role in a story that they had created for whatever political purposes, influencing elections, whatever they, you know, wanted advancing their careers, whatever. But, um, you know, I was a character that was selected based off my beliefs, uh, books that I, uh, had and that I read, they use those against me in federal court. Um, my beliefs in the second amendment, uh, my beliefs in freedom and as well, like my overall appearance, I, we believe that, you know, they really wanted to select me and put me into this fake conspiracy. You know, I have tattoos. I'm a white guy. Mm -hmm. I love guns. This is the type of person that could be easily demonized, you know, and I believe that my ideas are a threat to authority and establishment. You know, they don't want, they want people to be subservient to the state and rely on the state. They don't want people talking about, you know, hey, you need to withdraw yourself from the state and become independent and understand what your rights are so you can defend them because they're being taken away. So essentially, I had you know, 2020 was crazy, right? I mm-hmm. essentially the entire country was on fire, riots going all over the place. You know, we got this COVID thing happening. There's all this stuff, right? And me being a single guy having my own place, uh, you know, I had a good job and everything, but like, I didn't have this like large network of people that were really freedom oriented right. or people who trained tactically with firearms. I'm like the only one in my family who does that. So I wanted to reach out and essentially kind of get with some people that were my age so we could be like, hey, in case like stuff really goes down, we actually have some sort of unit to where we can defend ourselves and defend our property because, you know, the way I was seeing the world going, especially in the U S is, is downhill. And, and, you know, two years later, it's still continuing on that path, you know, even though people are waking up, but, uh, you know, it's not like I was tricked into like doing anything crazy. Like I literally never broke the law at all. Hmm. And that came out in court. You know, I said some offensive things that could be offensive, but I never said, yeah, let's do this. I never agreed to anything. I never even went and looked at any place or anything like that. I literally just went to tactical training and then expressed my beliefs and opinions that they said were anti-government and all of this stuff. So essentially, you know, I get arrested and I'm, I'm having no idea what is going on. And they tell me the charge. And essentially what they did was they used my association and my beliefs to try to tie me into this group that the government actually had created, that the government was controlling, that the government was setting up all of these scenarios. It's like you're a, a let's say you race cars, right? You're doing some street racing. Well, you have a few buddies that you go street racing with. And usually there's a lot of people there, right? You don't know everybody, but let's say someone, you know, associated with an informant or a government agent. That's like, Hey, let's go rob this bank. So they somehow dupe your buddy into going and like driving by a bank. Right. And then they arrest them after that and say, Oh, well, you were hanging out with them this day. You know, and that's how they try to tie you in. So it's a pretty crazy thing. But yeah, I was, you, you said it right. I was 100% framed by the FBI. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy, and I think I think this interview is going to be useful in a lot, a lot of different ways. I mean, I, I think one thing that initially I, had, I hadn't thought of, but obviously, you know, this being a, a liberty centric show and also a, a show that focuses on the criminal justice system, th- there's a lot of people who listen to this show who you know might have some of those same characteristics that you have that could you know attract government agents to be looking at them creating groups d- doing things of that nature so this can act as sort of a hey let's look at you know how this functions how how is this thing manufactured so people can learn from your story you know and protect themselves um so they don't get tied up in similar uh, entrapment scams really to to put it really bluntly what happened here so let's let's go through the whole story and i i really i mean i like to start at really you know not the beginning beginning i don't you don't have to talk about like being born but if you talk about like your, your early years and like you know developing political beliefs and really what led you to i believe you uh consider yourself an anarchist right so what kind of led you down that road i think that's a good place to start yeah i guess so you know this is maybe like seven years ago um you know, I had some uh, rough things that I went through in my life and, you know, I wanted to change it, right? I wanted my life to be better. And the only way I could do that was just actually take personal responsibility for what happened to me in my life. Like either way, this is what I got and I got to deal with it and I can't blame anyone else or anything like that. So I started essentially acquiring knowledge and reading more and more and more to try to understand the world that I was in, right? And understand these dynamics that are taking place. And that led me to, you know, guys like Sam Adams, Thomas Paine, you know, reading Common Sense and, and, and you know, the founders and really understanding what rights are because my whole life, I believe that the system that we're in is incorrect. Like I see injustice everywhere. There's so much immorality and behaviors and, uh, you know, why is this happening? Why do all these other people think that this is okay? And then I'm here like saying, Hey, you guys don't see that. Like that's wrong. Right. So as time went on, um, I just, you know, I started getting into like Lysander Spooner. Um, I was always into people like David Icke and, and, uh, Mark Passio and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, Rothbard, you know, those type of guys, I started getting more into, uh, their philosophy. And at that point I realized the best way for me to be really independent and self-sufficient is to know how to defend myself to the best of my ability. I didn't want to rely. That that was a, a big reason that the state has so many, so much control over so many people is because they don't really know how to defend themselves and they step in and kind of justify the taking of money and property and and wealth in order to use that like for your protection. Right. So, uh, you know, I started really getting into firearms and essentially trained myself in my apartment, uh, watched YouTube. I learned everything about guns on my own and I know quite a bit, you know, it's, there's a lot to know when it comes to firearms and calibers and everything like that. So it can be a really, really deep rabbit hole, but you know, I jumped in and, and, and learned a lot. And then when I met this group, uh, you know, the, the Wolverine watchman or whatever, number one, real quick, I was never a Wolverine watchman ever. I was never a member of this group. I was just an individual who showed up, um, at this property a couple times and trained with my firearm, 
you know, I was never in this in this group, the the Wolverine Watchmen. So it was a a Facebook group, or was it an official like I don't know? Official? Were they registered with any entity, or what kind of? I mean, like how official was it? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So, (laughs) you know, essentially, the Wolverine Watchmen is like just two guys who made a encrypted chat on wire. So there's like a private Facebook group. That's kind of the more outer reaching kind of thing. And then if you, you know, care about the second amendment, you're about freedom or whatever, you can get invited to the chat room. So, you know, there's maybe 20, 30 people in there, but this is no like legal registered militia. This isn't like, they'd never called themselves really a militia. It was just kind of a group of guys that, you know, once or twice a month on the weekend would come to, you know, Joe and Pete Musico's house and they wanted to call themselves Wolverine Watchmen or whatever, but no one was like, oh yeah, I'm a Wolverine Watchman. It's just people showed up, they trained, they talked crap about politicians, you know what I'm saying? Drank beer mm-hmm. afterwards, you know, maybe did a little target shooting before, but it's like kind of like a little club, you know what I'm saying? It's not like it's a club that actually did training to prepare for the possibility of civil unrest or government overreach. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds to me just like a you know a group of people who you know, like you mentioned earlier, were really cognizant of what was happening in you know 2020, 20 um, yeah 2020 um, w- with the lockdowns and and with really seeing you know things that really people from you know the the anarchist or libertarian or the you know, the freedom or the Second Amendment space you know we'd really like uh, hypothesized about. You know, what if this happens? What if one day the government does this and makes us all, you know, take this vaccine? Or, you know, what if the government shuts down businesses? What if the government, you know, says we can't leave our leave our houses or says we can't travel unless we do do X or Y? And it went from this hypothesis to, oh, shit, that actually happened. This is happening right now. So a lot of people were kind of, I don't want to say activated, but kind of went just went to the next step and said okay so this this first thing has happened but i should probably start thinking about like how can we defend ourselves against it is that kind of where your headspace was yeah exactly you know you got to be as prepared as you can you don't want to wait for the really bad thing to just spring upon you so once you notice that something's going on that we were cognizant of what was happening and we wanted to make sure that we were going to be okay in case something really bad happened. Mm-hmm. So let's let's keep keep on going through this story. So you uh, you, you I don't even want to say joined this group. You were you were hanging you were hanging out with people who were affiliated with this group, the, the Wolverine Watchmen. You'd you'd gone shooting with them, drinking beer, hanging out, talking politics. Um, what what happens What happens next? How does this turn from a bunch of people hanging out? Um, shit talking the government to getting arrested and indicted with for conspiracy. Yeah. Um, so essentially when I first, uh, I guess started associating with this group, it was June 14th, 2020. And I showed up to the first training and little did I know, I, I literally walked into a TEI. So for, for anyone who doesn't know, a TEI is FBI lingo for a terrorist enterprise investigation. That is 
the highest form of terrorist investigation that you can have. You get approved for a massive amount of funds. You get, you know, authority to do things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do. And you can do and say certain things that you normally can't. So um, in, in reality, you know, the, the lead agents in this case had already started the TEI before I ever came in. And they justified doing this by saying, you know, there was threats to law enforcement and, you know, there was anti-government rhetoric and this person posted this on Facebook and, you know, memes and stuff. Really, it's, it's, it's First Amendment activity that the FBI says they recognize, but then they turn right around and say that that's a justification for them to investigate you. Now, in the state trial happening right now, the uh the government because these guys that are on state trial were they were charged with providing material support for terrorism so they're on trial in the state of michigan for allegedly providing me with material support i was the main terrorist you know what i'm saying or one of them right and these guys Mm -hmm. allegedly you know what i mean were supposed to give me whatever like property to train on or whatever right and they questioned them and said hey so you guys said that there was threats to law enforcement and everything like that. And they were like, yeah, they were talking about downloading this app called Onyx Hunt, where you can find the names of people who own property, <laughs> you know, and then they were just going to look for police and, and, and try to kill them and do a reverse red flag. Right. So the defense attorney's like, OK, well, your informant went to a police officer friend that he had whose supervisor just so happened to be working in the FBI and you showed him this material. Right. And he's like, yeah, I showed it to him, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, do you have any evidence of its existence? And they're like, no, we don't. And they're like, okay, so you never thought to take a screenshot or document it or capture that or anything, because this is the whole reason why you launched your investigation. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course this thing doesn't actually exist. It was a justification. So Come to find out, the lead agent on this case planned on leaving the FBI. This is so deep, dude. The conspiracy is just so deep and so crazy. But the guy planned on, uh, he had a private intelligence company called Exa Intel. He wanted to leave the FBI. And he was already pitching ideas to other uh, contractors in, in private corporate or private businesses and other corporations where essentially he would be like, look, if you're holding an event or you're hiring people in your business, I'll essentially surveil them and do like super deep background checks on them and find out whatever you want to find out about them. Do you, you know, are you holding an event and you want to find out how many people have CPL licenses? You can pay me. If you find, want to find out if they have a criminal record, you can pay me. So it's essentially like a mass surveillance spying apparatus company that is outside of the government, but the guy who runs it works still for the FBI. So he essentially created this entire elaborate scheme, right, to, to kidnap the governor in order to advance his career. And that's what all of these other agents were doing. The informant was, uh, you know, had testimony telling the agent, yeah, man, I'm just here to build my resume. And he said he worked for the post office as a truck driver, but you're trying to build your resume in this case. What does that really mean? So this is, let's back up for a minute here. So talking about this FBI agent who was, was basically using um, using this this conspiracy as a way to really spin off spin off a new career, and I guess use this as an example for it. Did, did that all come out in your trial, or, or where was that uncovered? Yeah, so that's a really good question, John. So <laughs> funny thing is, is 
you know, I'm sitting in jail, right? And I had access to a computer. It didn't have internet, but I had access to every single bit of discovery. So my whole main goal just just looking through that and trying to find the truth. And we acquired emails and, and documents of Jason Chambers, the lead FBI agent on this case, um, mm-hmm. talking business with other people. Uh, one of the defense attorneys was able to get their own informant, right? To go and inform on the situation and come to find out uh, there's all this communication of Jason Chambers trying to, um, you know, leave the FBI. He's using his FBI credentials to pitch services to these other people. We have that in documentation, his own personal emails. Um, on top of that, there was a Twitter account that, um, you know, was kind of posting about the case while it was ongoing. So before we got arrested, this Twitter account, which was linked to the CEO of Exa Intel, Jason Chambers, was mm. posting about the case saying, hey, man, there's something big going on in Michigan. I'm telling you, right? This is the whole Exa Intel stuff. And then and then they're saying, hey, Michigan, I'm telling you, something big is coming. And then we got arrested. And that day, that Twitter account posted, see, I told you something big was coming. Come to find out this is linked to these FBI agents. Now they're trying to disassociate themselves with it. So they dissolve the Twitter account and dissolve the business exa intel and act like, you know, blah, 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 right? So we argued, hey, this guy obviously had a financial incentive to create this fake case because he wanted to advance his career. Well, the judge said, nope, you can't talk about that at all. That's totally irrelevant. Can't come into court. You can't bring up exit intel. You can't bring up those emails. And we even had text messages from Jason Chambers saying to other agents, hey, listen, I'm going to I'm going to beat them over the head with this TEI until they comply. Talking about a supervisor saying, and then he would say like uh, in text message, he would say, um, what do you say? He's like, I'm going to get this approval for this TEI, whether my boss approves of it or not. You know, and he's saying this in March when the investigation first launches. So he's saying like, dude, I'm going to do this, whether anyone likes it or not. And if they don't approve it, I'm going to beat them over the head with it over and over again and get this TEI taken care of. Cause I need to get up out of here and get, and become a millionaire. Couldn't bring any of that in bro. Judge said it was irrelevant. It's, it's just, it's crazy that, uh, and I, I know we'll get into it more, but just how really, you know, rigged even even the trial process is, and how you know things are taken out of context, and, and you can't really really reply to them. But let's let, let's back up and talk about the arrest and how that went down, um, or or maybe even before that. When did you first realize that that you were potentially going to be arrested? Yeah. So, you know, that was something I never knew until it happened. I'm a pretty smart guy and I've done my fair share of, of, you know, bad things. Right. I mean, I don't have a criminal record. I own firearms. I'm very responsible with them. Uh, I got all my firearms back to the firearms and ammo and body armor and everything that they took. I got that back. But, um, I know when I do something wrong, like I understand if that's illegal or not. And I know the Mm -hmm. potential, okay, this could potentially happen if I engage in this behavior. And that never occurred during this investigation, not one time. So when I got arrested, I was like flabbergasted. I'm like, what? Because what I didn't know 
is that the government behind the scenes through their informants and agents were literally preying on people who were not like very intelligent, you know, who were very naive, who had kind of Mm -hmm. mental disabilities, right. Who maybe did a lot of drugs and they would get them high and stuff and kind of get them to say certain things and then say, Hey, why don't we go for a little ride over here? Right. And then get them to talk about certain things and take them somewhere and then use this patsy essentially and say that this patsy is this leader of this kill squad right and the kill squad was me my and my other co-defendants that's what they tried Mm -hmm. to to tie everything together was to make us look connected even though the only reason we associated with each other was because of the government bringing this person in once they found adam fox they said that's our guy that's who we're going to be able to use to actually make this look real and to make this happen because no one else is even trying to do anything wrong. So, so why do you think they, they targeted Adam Fox because he was, he was naive and was able to be manipulated. Yeah. So yeah, he, you know, Adam Fox was someone who was not very tactically sound, right? Like he, he didn't know how to handle his rifle very well. He was kind of like a very egoic person. Like he didn't understand his position in the hierarchy. Like, you know, no one's taking orders from someone who like can't even reload their AR, right? Like if you can't do a standard mag reload, like at a, at a decent yeah. time frame, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm not taking orders from you, bro. I'm better yeah. with guns than you. So it, you know, it was, it was kind of like that. And Unfortunately, you know, Adam suffered big time as far as the lockdowns. I mean, he became homeless because of it. He lost uh, uh, another job because of it. And he lived in the basement of a vacuum repair shop that he made very little money at and essentially was homeless there and just was smoking weed all day in the basement and, you know, just kind of living a very unfulfilled life right and he's like kind of a military wannabe guy so then you know dan the informant dan chapel comes in who's like i helped chris kyle get out of uh, Sutter city and all this stuff he's this you know super operator guy sitting here telling adam no man you're good you're good with guns like people respect you and all this stuff and getting in his head and he's sitting there thinking oh yeah okay you know and they're like oh you should be a leader and you should do this and, and do that and uh, essentially that predatory nature, that's what they use to prey on someone weak to get them to say and do certain things and then record them doing that and then use that against them in court. And I was just someone who on the on the outskirts, but someone that they could just use to say, oh, this was his soldier, right? That was going to follow his orders to kidnap the governor. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, it kind of makes sense why they pick certain people, you know, when you look at it and learn about it in, uh, in hindsight, I mean, this isn't the first time that they've, that they've done something like this, obviously there's, there's a handbook to it. Basically. It probably is an actual handbook. Um, but Pat con, what's that? Uh, it's called Pat con. That was what was before Cohen's uh, or maybe a little bit after that's the whole, the whole, uh, uh, Branch Davidians and, and okay. Randy Weaver thing and, and all of this other stuff that we know about in the past, 
that was all under the guise of PatCon, which is called Patriot Conspiracy. That's what the feds called it. Um, ours was Operation Cold Snap, but all that is is a different name for PatCon. You know, the FBI goes into these militia groups or freedom-oriented yeah. groups or whatever. They specifically put their own people in the hierarchies, and now they're making Facebook pages and gathering everyone together and then trying to entrap them into criminal activity. So when we, when we look at, look at this, uh, this group, like how many people, or maybe you don't know this, but if you do know, how many people were FBI informants that were, that were in the group? Yeah. So overall there was, uh, you know, six people got arrested and charged federally. Um, the rest out of, so yeah, it was six more that got arrested and charged in the state. So 12 people essentially total around, around about, around about were arrested and actually charged. We come to find out that there was at least 12 or more wow. informants involved. Um, and we know for a fact that in our situation, there were two active undercover FBI agents involved in creating these scenarios and mm -hmm. recording and monitoring everything. So when, when you look back on that, now that you know that, can you look back on some of the interactions that you had with some of the informants and be like, wow, I, I, you know, th that was weird or you know, kind of like in hindsight, that, that, didn't, that didn't make sense. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I remember this one interaction with Dan Chapel. He was the main informant. Uh, he, you know, I wanted to go over kind of threat a threat matrix of, you know, threat possibilities that you know, you know, come in the future, and maybe kind of like a bulletin, I guess, to educate some of the guys um, on some current events and what was going on and, and certain things like that. This is a super disorganized group, by the way, like you can't have serious, like <laughs> real conversations. It's kind of like a, a group of younger guys who just drink beer and talk shit. Right. Mm -hmm. If you start out like, out like actual something serious, they're like, Oh man, this is like an AA meeting or something. You know, it's like, okay, bro. Like, you know, like, so I wanted to have a defensive unit like that. And, you know, so I had a meeting at my house and only the government showed up, right? Only Dan showed up. Mm. And for anyone who's into firearms and, and likes firearms, especially if I find out that you like firearms, like we're going to, we're going to talk guns. And if you come over to my house, like I'm showing you my guns, dude, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Hey, this is what I got. You know, this is what I'm working with. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I built this up myself, whatever. Right. So I, handed him my AR, you know, and usually what happens is someone goes, Oh, that's nice. They grab it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They take the mag out, yep. you know, check the chamber and everything, make sure everything's good. They might hold it up a little bit or, you know, look, Oh, this is a nice barrel. This is a nice receiver whatever. And then they give it back to you. Well, with Dan, I tried to hand it to him and he was like, not trying to touch it. <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, what? Like, I'm like, hey, man, yeah, this is, here's my AR, bro. Check it out. Isn't it sweet? And it, it is a sweet AR. So it's like, 
the, if you love ARs, you're going to be like, damn, bro, you're going to grab that shit. You're going to want to hold it. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't even touch it. And I'm like, that is so weird to me. Why would you not want to touch my firearm? You know, mm-hmm. he eventually did it after I essentially put it in his face and said, <laughs> here. Uh, <laughs> but that was something later on that I was like, dude, that's something the Fed would do. You know what I mean? And and I was right. But the reason why, the reason why I didn't think of it as a big deal is because, number one, that who, that's who was training me. You know, I'm trained training and experience from that would be hundreds of dollars if I actually paid for it. And I'm getting it for free. And I said, well, even if he is an informant, he can't like train me. And besides, I'm not doing anything wrong anyways. Right. So I'm like, who cares if he acted weird about it? Maybe he's a fed. Maybe he's not. Either way, I'm not breaking the law. So it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was wrong. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So. Let's talk about you getting actually arrested. Just t- take us through that story. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, it was it was just a regular day at work. Uh, I'm a machinist, and, uh, you know, I worked afternoon. So, I called into uh, my favorite place. I like to eat lunch and got all that ordered up and ready to go. And, uh, I'm about to leave. And my boss came up to me and he was like, Hey, essentially like the main boss wants to talk to you real quick. And I'm like, Oh, he's still here. He's like, yeah. I'm like, Oh, all right. Essentially like the FBI went to my supervisor and was like, listen, bro, you're going to tell him to come here. Mm -hmm. You know, we're the FBI. Right. So he doesn't, what's he going to (laughs) do? You know? So, uh, he leads me into this room He's like, yeah, Mark is just back there. And I'm like, okay. So I start to walk in there and I realize the lights are off and I'm like, what? And I look around, right? And it's an empty room and then the lights flick on and 15 agents, plain clothes. 15 agents. Holy shit. 15, bro. And and they have baklavas over their face. Like they're not fucking around, dude. Like they look like regular people. They didn't say FBI. They just said, get the fuck on the ground now. They tackle me down on the ground, dude, and just start taking my belt off, bro, and just taking everything out of my pockets and taking my shoes off and pushing my head down into the ground. You know, they're like, stop resisting, stop resisting. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. Who the fuck are you? You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, they treated me like shit, bro. Let's back up there, man, because that's, I mean, that's that's a crazy situation. What was going through your mind, like, as that was happening, like, I can't even, I, I can't even think what would be, what would be going through my head, but yeah, well, honestly, I thought that I was a, like, I thought that I was going to be kidnapped and murdered by a, some group or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know if it's Antifa whatever, but they, it's not like they said we're the government, right? They didn't say any of that. And I was actually pissed at myself because I didn't even defend myself. I said, dude, I'm about to die right now. And I didn't even, I didn't even fight back at all. Wow, man. Good freaking job, <laughs> you know? And, uh, so yeah, I mean, and, they well, just, that's a, I think it's important there because they, they want you to fight back. That's probably why they don't identify themselves. Right. Then there's another charge they, they can put on top. Right. Right. Exactly. They don't want to say who they are and what they're doing. They're hoping that you try something, you know? So, so you're, you're arrested. At what point do you find out, you know, what you're, what you're charged with or do they take you in first and are you interrogated or what happened next? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I get arrested. I still don't know who these people are. Right. Um, they handcuff me, 
they bring me out in the front of the shop in the parking lot and they walk my, my hands are behind my back, right? I'm in cuffs. I'm in foot chains. They walk me up to this dude who's gets out of this black SUV. That's totally blacked out. He's this real tall, skinny guy with slick back black hair, you know, and he walks up to me, you know, he gets out of the, he's wearing a black suit. He's like, what's your name? And I'm like, huh? He said, tell me your name. I said, uh, my name is Brandon. And his essentially henchmen were like, is this him boss? You know, is this him? And he asked me what my name was. And I told him, he said, yep, that's him. Throw him in the back. And they threw me in the back of this unmarked freaking vehicle, dude. Like, so I'm sitting in the back of this car. I've just been kidnapped. I don't freaking know. I'm like, dude, I'm going to die. You know what I'm saying? And then, uh, I didn't find out what was going on until we got to this police station, which was like a half hour away. And I'm like, this is the government doing this. Like what? And then, you know, I went in and, and I found out it was the FBI. I figured out, they told me what my charge was and everything. And I was just like, for like, what are you talking about? You know? And they're like, well, listen, man, all these guys are saying that you were involved with this and this, and you knew about it. And I was like, kidnap the governor for what? Like, like what, like what's the, what's the end goal of doing that? Like, just like, what am I going to get out of that? You know? And they're like, well, that's what you're here for. We're here to find that out why you conspired to do that. And I'm just like, bro, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Oh man, that's so crazy. So what? Let's let's I guess dig into the the whole kidnapping the the governor thing. Um, what did they have around that? I mean, did did was it essentially you know having one of the people just just drive past her house or how much of that did they actually go towards you know actually trying to kidnap the governor? Yeah. So, you know, that's a really good question. I think more people need to ask that because that's when you start really kind of getting down into the nitty gritty of things, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and actually discerning whether or not something's real or serious or not. Right. And what you have is you have, you know, a group of guys who are libertarian anarchists, you know, maybe, some of them are more right-leaning, you know, uh, constitutionalist, conservative, or whatever. Living in a state with a totally authoritarian communist governor, right? Who is super strict, you know, wants like is obsessed with abortion, right? And just, uh, you know, <laughs> not a good person, bro. Like yeah. she's not a good person at all, and she's controlling us coercively through the state and, you know, people are dying because of the choices that she's making and people are losing their businesses and can't get haircuts and all this stuff. Right. So we're going to talk shit about that, you know, and you're going to have guys in there who are going to be like, Hey, she needs to be arrested, bro. Like whole lockdown stuff is, is unconstitutional. You know, that's illegal. Right. So there was people that talked about, you know, she should be arrested. You know, you know, there, there were people who kind of talked about like, how could, how could that even happen? Right. This is a hypothetical scenario that we're saying, I mean, could that even be done? Like, what would we do? Get a judge to sign off on it and then have like, you know, uh, uh, a sheriff go and do it. This was just like talk kind of being thrown out. 
right? And then what you have is you have the government, you know, saying who is minded person in this entire group? Okay, it's that guy. Let's see if we get that guy to go look at her place in Traverse City, right? The, the governor's mansion. It's a public area, but like, let's just see if we can get him to drive up there and maybe take some pictures, right? So they get that one guy to go do that. Nobody else knows that that even happened, right? Like, we're just going mm-hmm. to work, living our lives, and we don't know what this kid just did with this informant. You know what I'm saying? We have no clue. Yeah. And the government's collecting this information and, and saying we knew about it and, you know, we were about it because, look, they were talking bad about the governor right here in this audio recording, right? So they can use deception and clip certain clips and take certain things and put them together to make it seem like this is an actual conspiracy, right? Even though it's not. That, that is that's so crazy. I mean, it's and you know, I've I've been doing the show for a long time, and a lot of the people that I interview get tied up in conspiracy for you know nonviolent uh, drug offenses, essentially, and a lot of people get convicted in those circumstances based on something that's called ghost dope. So essentially, it's just all of the people uh, that the government talks to. Around this case, you know, maybe maybe customers or maybe you know people who, who you know who are also selling drugs with them, and just through talking with them or interviewing them or giving them plea deals or um, giving them immunity, they generate this this huge number of well, every time you know this uh, increment of uh, dr- drugs was uh, was accounted for, and they add it all up at the end, and that's the amount of. Uh, of cocaine or marijuana that that they're being charged with uh, with trying to sell, so it's it's just so crazy that they're able to get away with this because it's it's criminal. I mean that they're, they're essentially acting just like the mafia would act, and a lot of people look at this their criminal justice system who don't know this stuff and think we have a legitimate criminal justice system, and we don't. I mean it's so it's so illegitimate, but. Obviously, you know that now. You're a shining example for it, and you probably knew that before too. Which is crazy to think that somebody like yourself, who even knew that before, could still end up in the situation. That's why when I talk about the beginning, you know, a lot of people who listen to this show need to really raise their awareness and think how easily this can happen. Because you're you're not a dumb guy. You're a smart guy, and and you still got caught up in this uh, in this situation. So let's let's talk yeah. about the actual trial itself. And how you were able to beat these charges, because that is incredible, and that is rare. <laughs> yeah, uh, very rare. Um, you know, our defense was entrapment. You know, um, but my situation was unique. I was my place in this whole thing was so much different than all the my other co-defendants. You know, because I really was just this guy on the outskirts. And, uh, so in order for us to even bring any like stuff in of what the government tried to do to put this thing together, we had to claim entrapment, but what we focused on was no agreement, right? So in conspiracy, like there has to be an agreement to break the law 
And so we really wanted to focus on like, cause I didn't break the law, right? Like I didn't do anything. They said I conspired. Right. But like, I didn't, they're just saying, well, he wanted to, right. They don't really have mm-hmm. proof, but so we wanted to focus on no agreement. So we really hyper-focused on the fact that I didn't agree to do anything. And I never went to, when they did that lookout, they did a lookout two times. I never went to that. You know what I'm saying? Um, my rhetoric wasn't about the governor. My rhetoric was about mandatory vaccinations and police brutality. When you uh, say your rhetoric, you're talking the clips that they were pulling and, and presenting in court. Yep. Yep. They, they, they would take something like a conversation that I had on someone who wasn't even involved in the case, you know, just like over Facebook messenger and say like, this is what he thinks about the second amendment. Right. And, you know, look at his opinions. They're essentially violent. Like, look at these books that he read. He called himself an anarchist. You know, look at this video of him ranting about a cop pulling him over. Right. And they're just trying to say this guy's a bad guy because of what he says. He's a dangerous person. So you should put him in prison because he would have kidnapped the governor. You know, so we we focused on no agreement. And luckily, I had a badass attorney, Mike Hills from Kalamazoo, Michigan. That guy, I hit the lottery with him, man. How like, did you find him? So, dude, he was court appointed. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he was, he owns his own private law firm legitimately, mm-hmm. right? He's a very good criminal defense ter- attorney. Um, but for the magnitude of the case and everything like that, I believe magistrate Sally J. Barron's of the Western district of Michigan um, appointed him to me, or he wanted to appoint himself. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but uh, yeah. And he just immediately went on it and, and, and worked hard, you know, and just, and just, we, we pointed out all the inconsistencies and hypocrisy of the statements, the inconsistent statements that these agents mm-hmm. were making. And we pointed out because we found text messages, bro. We found hundreds of text messages that the FBI, they're talking to their informers and they're planning this whole thing out, you know, before I even, I don't know anything They're They're trying to get me to go on these ride alongs. You know, there's text messages saying, Hey, why don't you ask Brandon? Why don't you like lie to him and tell him that it's about this. Right. And then get him to show up. And then by the time he gets in the car, he won't even know where we're going and he'll just have to be there. Right. And then just get him to say something bad about cops and, and, and then bring up the governor and then boom, we're good. Like that's our evidence, <laughs> you know, like they're talking about this wow. stuff openly. And were you able to present that like, like that example right there in court? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, there's okay. actually where they were like, Hey, why don't you try to swing by Caserta's house and see if he'll want to go? Do you, do you think he'd want to go now? You know, unfortunately the judge with the motions in limine, he excluded so much stuff. Like we could have brought in we could only offer a tiny little picture of what actually happened. The judge really just ran a massive protection racket for, for the prosecution, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, imposing time limits and, and and all the stuff, man. But, you know, we were able to show the jury like, Hey, you know, and they, they smelled it, you know, they were like, yeah, this isn't, this doesn't smell right. You know what I'm saying? We don't know about these two guys, but these two guys right here, you need to send them home right now. So you said overall there were 
What six people charged by six people charged federally and six by the state? Is that is that right? Yeah. Um, have any been convicted to this point? So, uh, you know, a couple people. So in the federal trial, two people took plea deals and cooperated with the FBI and the government testified against me, Dan Harris, Adam Fox and Barry Croft. Okay. Me and Dan got acquitted on the first trial. Me and Dan Harris, Mm -hmm. totally exonerated. We walked home that day out of the courtroom. Um, Adam Fox and Barry Croft had a mistrial. There was, they couldn't come to a unanimous agreement on them. So they retried them just and and they were convicted on August 23rd, Gretchen Whitmer's okay. birthday, which is, which is very weird. Um, you know, I showed up to that trial and I listened to it and you, that trial was even more rigged than this one. And there was something super fishy about, about the jury and how the jury was selected and what was going on. You know, you had jurors that were openly saying like, we're going to convict these guys, you know, and they weren't kicked off and just a, a bunch of stuff that hindered the defense. The judge would let it slide and anything that hindered the government, the judge would shut it down. And there's, there's still a trial going on right now, right? Yep. Who's, who's, yep. It, who's in that one? So the three main guys of the trial that's going on right now, it's uh, Judge Wilson's YouTube channel. His name is Judge Wilson. He's in Jackson, Michigan. Okay. You can look it up on YouTube. It's live every day. You can watch it live on YouTube. All the episodes all the whole trial is still on his YouTube channel. You can go in there and watch everything from the beginning to the end. Um, and it's going to be starting again on Monday. They're dealing with cross-examination. I believe, um, I, I don't remember on, on which person, but, uh, the defense I believe is, is coming up with cross and, uh, those three gentlemen are Joe Morrison, Pete Musico, and Paul Billar. Now, Joe Morrison and Pete Musico, that, that's actually the Wolverine Watchmen. Like, those two guys right there, like, mm-hmm. that was the property that we trained at twice. You know, during the middle of this thing, we all separated. Like, we hung out with Joe and them for a couple times, and then we said, no, nah, we went over here and just started training, right? We didn't really associate with Joe and Pete anymore. So... Joe what was Pete. the reason? What was the reasons for that um, associating with them? Yeah, so you know, for me, like they were kind of like hoorah about going to protests and stuff. And you know, me being an anarchist, it's like okay, well, I guess if you want to like protest, you know, maybe for some networking or something. But like, I'm not going to go tell politicians or beg them to please be nicer to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. I'm going to exercise my rights. I don't care what choices they, they make, you know, I'm not going to give their power any legitimacy. So they were kind of like this hoorah thing. And and we didn't really want like a whole lot of attention, you know, and they were kind of getting that clout and getting recognition because they went to the whole, uh, protest in April, you know, that was like all over the news everywhere, like lockdown protests in Michigan and there was pictures of all these guys up there. And we're like, yeah, that's, I don't know. We, we don't want to be targeted by the government. And we already know the government comes after groups 
So we just kind of, we just kind of want to disassociate from that, you know? So, so we left that chat room, went to another chat and started training somewhere else. But they're still trying to charge these guys with material support for terrorism. Right. Um, and gang membership. So now they're saying that gang membership. Oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah. They're saying this militia bro is a gang. It's not a militia. It's a gang of criminals that want to murder people. And the result, I think it was this one. Didn't something just happen where one of the jurors was removed from the, the trial because she was flirting like <laughs> with with some with one of the defendants? What yeah, the heck yeah, is that? Yeah, I I uh I saw that I got kind of an inside scoop, you know what I'm saying? Um mm-hmm. you know, because these pe- these people asked me, you know, I was in this case, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I know how to yeah. beat it. So like I know what they're trying to do and their motives, you know, and what really happened in certain situations. So I can give them good information. And, uh, you know, this situation was kind of dumb. It was just like some juror who was probably like the only attractive girl in the room. So everyone's kind of focusing on her anyways. And she just so happens to look at Paul Bellar a few times or like at him, get him too much. Right. So they think, <laughs> Oh, he looked back at her and they're looking back and forth. Okay. They must be flirting. Right. So we need to boot her off there. Like that's insane. Yeah. dude. Can't make eye contact. No eye contact. That's wow. Right. So let's talk about your life now and kind of just like what, what's happening now that you've beat these charges. Um, you know, I know that you know we were talking on Twitter, and it's, it sounds like you, you landed landed a new job, so that's awesome. But like, how how much of an impact has this had on your life? Yeah, you know that's a really good question, man. Um, this has had a huge impact on my life. I mean, like, I was building up a very good life for myself, and I was doing it all by all by myself and and i pat myself on the back for that right and that was immediately stripped from me instantly everything gone so imagine you're living your life one day and then you get put in a cage for something you never did you're facing life in prison your house is gone all your materials in your property that you love that you cherish that you worked hard for that's gone you have no money, you know what I'm saying? And the entire society and world thinks you're a violent terrorist who's a white supremacist and wants to kill you, you know? And that's not who you're. So you're like, so you're like, bro, what is going on? You know what I mean? This is crazy. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, since I've been I just I have to do what I have to do. Like, luckily I have family to to support me, but you know, I'm I'm grown. It's not like I'm trying to, <laughs> you know, be at the crib yeah. forever. Right. And, and I want to get back to where I was at. So, uh, but you know, I do have to deal with other people in society who might find out who I am. They're very nasty to me. You know, they say things to me online, you know, they want me, they hope me, they hope I die. They hope the FBI gets me again. I mean, they keep calling me a white supremacist and that's like the crazy of me because of me, because like not, not only am I not that, but I've never been like that. And the government didn't even bring forth any evidence to suggest that, mm-hmm. you know, they had nothing. So it was just like, you're a white guy with a gun and you care about freedom. So you're a white supremacist automatically. They automatically throw me into this, 
category, you know, and, and that's something that I've been trying to combat as well because, you know, when I, I did 18 in, in, in jail and listen, bro, mm-hmm. I was like one of the only ones in my, in my unit, you know, and, and you can get testimony from all my homeboys in there, bro. They will say I'm the realest white dude they ever met. So to sit here and call me these names like that is just character assassination and, and defamation, you know? So that's something I've had to deal with, but I just been, it's been rough as far as money. I've gotten a little bit of donations here and there, you know what I mean? And I'm trying to make some content to get the word out, but, uh, it's been rough as far as that. And I just finally landed something, uh, that's really good. Um, I should be starting this upcoming week. I just did all the paperwork that I needed to do and everything like that. So finally, like six, seven months later, things are starting to look up a little bit better for me. Yeah. And yeah, I hope it does. It, it sounds like things are moving in a positive direction. I know that you do have, I don't know if you want to plug it here. You, you have, you have a give, give, send go. If people want to want to help you out, if you want to give that a plug. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have a give, send go. It's a uh, give, slash kinetic truth. Um, you can donate there. Uh, I have uh, cash app and Venmo as well. Uh, my cash app is uh, kinetic truth with two H's though. Um, and, and no underscore I'm on, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram and TikTok as well. If you just search my name, Brandon Caserta and like uh, kinetic truth or TikTok, you know, you can, you can find my platforms on there. Yeah, and I'll link to all that stuff on the show notes page at, at Lions of Liberty too, so you can uh, y'all can reach out to Brandon. Uh, before I let you go, I do want to ask you one more question. So you know, I talked about earlier in the show, you know, a lot of people in the libertarian, anarchist, Second Amendment um, in these circles are at you know there's a threat could fall into similar circ- similar circumstances. What kind of advice would you give to them to prevent happening to them what happened to you? Yeah, that's that's a great question, man. Um, so first of all, we have to really understand what's going on. All right. And what is happening right now is there is a massive conspiracy involving the government against you. Okay. The government is coming after you. All right. They are trying these, these communists, these socialists, these globalists, these authoritarians have infiltrated themselves into the government apparatus. And they all have this, most of them have this same ideology. And if you talk about freedom, you talk about defending yourself against tyranny, you talk about rights, you talk about anything that's against the establishment narrative, they want you, you know, and they'll do anything they can to put you on that list and to, and to try to get you to look like a crazy person. Right. So with knowing that, don't let that scare you as far as organizing and still remaining in contact with people and still speaking out against them. You know, um, we cannot let this stuff scare us. I didn't, you know, I face, I beat a life sentence. I'm not going to just sit in a hole in a hole. Cause I'm scared. They're going to come get me again. Mm-hmm. Screw that dude. I'm going to, here's my chance to really expose you guys, you know, for what you did, because what you did was wrong. And uh, as long as we have that in mind, we just need to really focus on like, if we are in some sort of larger group, what we can do to kind of mitigate 
the possibility of you like getting caught in something that you didn't have anything to do with. And number one is like, make sure that when you're talking about something or describing something, make sure in a large setting, make sure that you're providing context for it and make sure that context is clear. So, you know, people don't find out what you're talking about five minutes later, right? They know it right now. That makes it harder for the prosecution to frame you into stuff because that's what they capitalize on is you saying something without any context around it. And then they provide their own text text and make it extremely difficult for you as a defendant to get that exculpatory positive information in on yourself. Number one or number two, talk about defense. It's always defensive thing. You're thing you're talking about is specifically defensive always, no matter what, right? Has to be. If you're talking about any offensive or any planning type situation like that, Mm -hmm. they're going to be right on you. And the people who are going to talk about that are working for the government. You know what I'm saying? Right. If they're talking about any sort of planning ahead and, and like offensive stuff, stuff that you would be like, well, I mean, Maybe, but like, I don't think that would be a good idea right now, right? That seems a little bit ridiculous. They could be an informant, you know? So you mm-hmm. always want to talk about defensive situations, not offensive situations. That's their whole spiel is to try to make everything offensive and make you look like the bad guy. So if you're providing context for your statements and then you're making sure everyone knows you're talking about a defensive situation, you'll be in a much better position to, uh, not get thrown into something, right. That you don't really want to be in. I think that's really good advice, man. And I want to thank you for, for coming on the show and and sharing your story. And I think, you know, I just want to highlight again, what you just said and how much I admire it, how after everything you've been through here, after the 18 months in jail, after, you know, fighting through and winning uh, against these, you know, drummed up fake charges, uh, you're still looking to fight and you're still looking to uh, do what you can to help other people and to really expose uh, the corruption uh, in this government. So I appreciate that, man. Thank you for doing what you do. Thanks, John. I appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks for coming on the show, Brandon. Thank you, man. Take care. All right. Thank you for listening. Hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Enjoy having that conversation. You know, so frequently we see these uh, cases, um, these news stories where people are, I, I think, pretty obviously um, instigated into doing some things they normally wouldn't do uh, by the FBI. And when you start to peel back the layers and when you start to hear from people involved in it, a lot of times you never could hear from people involved in it, though in this case, very different, um, you really understand how this type of conspiracy, I'm doing air quotes if you're just listening on podcast, how this fake conspiracy really begins to develop and to, uh, to, to set in motion, um, this chain of events, and you learn about how the FBI will, will get snippets and sound bites and then use those against um, the defendants out of context in court. So, just an incredible thing to actually be able to, to dig into and see the details of it, how it works. From my perspective, as for years, I've seen cases like this, 
and just thought to myself or thought out loud on Twitter, follow me there at John Odermatt, um, or thought out loud about this is obviously uh, you know FBI entrapment. This is obviously the FBI instigating people into doing things they normally wouldn't do, um, and in, in order to you know set up an arrest and, and set up boosting uh, the perception that they are fighting terror, domestic or otherwise. So great to be able to talk with Brandon, and uh, hopefully we'll have him back on the show later uh, to dig more into this case. Hope you enjoyed what we talked about today. If you did, please consider joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. You can join for as little as $5 a month all the way up to $100 a month, all kinds of different incentives and uh, bonuses and, and different uh, different things in between. But everyone, everyone in the Pride can watch these interviews live, most of them, I should say, most of them live either in our Facebook uh, private group or through our YouTube un- unlisted link. That is when we are allowed again to broadcast on YouTube. I'm not sure if we are right now. So anyway, that will be coming back. Um, We'll get it back eventually. And with regards to that, we are in the process of, obviously, we've been on Odyssey for a while. Um, We're starting to publish every episode uh, to Rumble as well. So if you're a Rumble person, if you're an Odyssey person, please go subscribe to the Lions of Liberty over there and support us as we grow those channels. I mean, it's a shame on YouTube, we have like 6,000 subscribers but they show our videos to like 10 people and we're not allowed to do super chats. We're not allowed to monetize. And it's just, uh, it's disgusting. It's terrible. And we're perpetually, we always have at least two strikes. As soon as one strike expires, they go back in our archives and dig out another strike, misinformation or whatever the heck else they want to, they want to call it. And, uh, we're right back to, uh, to where we started. So incredibly frustrating to not be able to, to really utilize and use the platform we've developed over almost a decade with these, uh, you know, posting on YouTube, can't use it. So YouTube, screw you. That's all I'm going to say. And if you are somebody who likes to watch videos on YouTube, please start speaking, uh, you know, with your voice and influence the market and going to Odyssey and Rumble and using other platforms. I know I am trying to do the same uh, with my own video watching. Not everything's there. You can't find everything. But eventually, if we keep doing that and we encourage uh, creators and influencers and podcasters and I don't know, anybody with a uh, with a voice to start putting their information on Rumble, on Odyssey, then uh, you know we can start to cut into this uh, this YouTube market share and, uh, and really start to make some changes. So I'll get off my soapbox. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Subscribe to the podcast. Join the Lions of Liberty Pride. And if you've done all that, you can relax for the rest of the week. You've done your job. Thank you so much for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning.